Thank you, Joseph. Good morning to everybody. Great to be here today, and what a wonderful week we had last week, at least the, well, the whole week, but special time during Sunday through Wednesday evenings as uh, we had our first gospel meeting since COVID began, and uh, that was just a great meeting with Dwight Butler and his wife, Gay, and, and what wonderful lessons he brought to us during that time. If you uh, would like to share any of those, again, they're on our website, they're also on podcast in audio form, and so you can, or you can go straight to the, our YouTube page, Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and, and download and watch on video and listen to the, all of those lessons. Walking with Jesus, great time, great time. The power to face life successfully. Think about yourself as a professional baseball player. Now, they're different than they used to be when I was growing up and watching the Cubs finish in eighth place every year, or thereabouts when there are only eight teams in the National League. And they're different today than I would follow the New York Yankees as they would go to the World Series almost every year and win most of the time. Professional baseball today is different than it was then. Back in that time, if a pitcher could throw a pitch 90 miles per hour, he was hot stuff. Today, he'd just be commonplace. And now they're clocking pitches going at 100 miles per hour or, or greater. But even at that speed, for the batter standing at the plate, the easiest pitch for him to hit is a fastball. I remember watching the Yankees play, I believe it was the Baltimore or Orioles. Now, I was just a little kid, but it's still stuck in my head. When Roger Maris, I believe, had the opportunity to either tie or pass Babe Ruth's record in the same number of games that Babe Ruth hit his 60, 60 home runs in. The length of the season is longer today than it was when Babe Ruth played. So he, for decades, held the record, 60 home runs in a season. Roger Maris was playing in that last game that was the same number of games. Now, he would play a few more games, and he would end up ultimately breaking Ruth's record, but in a longer season than Babe Ruth did it. And so here it was. He was playing that game. Would he be able to hit the record or break the record in the same number of games Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs in. And so the Yankees were winning the game. It was late innings, and the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, and I believe that's who they were playing at that time and that, and that day, he had his pitcher intentionally walk a batter so that Roger Maris could come up one more time. Nobody had hit 60 home runs, much less 61, for decades in a single season. And so sure enough, it brought Roger Maris up one more time in the ninth inning. And then the manager put in, I believe, Hoyt Wilhelm, which was a knuckleball pitcher, and excellent at that particular skill. Roger Maris did not hit that home run in that, that bat. It was not a fastball that Hoyt Wilhelm threw at him. 
It was a knuckleball, so it would go all over the place. But power hitters love fastballs. So the pitcher facing them understands, I'm going to throw them curveballs because they can't hit a curve as effectively as they can a fastball. Life in this world throws us a whole lot of curves, a whole lot of curves. We experience times when things seem to be going really well in our life, really well. Boy, we feel like we got the tiger by the tail. But in virtually every case, sooner or later, things change, don't they? Life is always in motion. The clock keeps ticking. The calendar pages keep being torn off. The years keep going by. And all kinds of different circumstances end up affecting our lives as that time goes on. Sometimes it's illness, sometimes it's injury. It might be a financial setback, loss of a job, a relational conflict of one kind or another, the death of a loved one, emotional stress, psychological disorder, and a host of other developments can seem to all of a sudden turn our life upside down. And then in addition, and this is something we don't like to admit or even think about a whole lot, just getting older can have its effect and take its toll. Well, many people seek professional help through various kinds of doctors and counselors, self-help manuals and so on, and others try to handle things all by themselves on their own. And then a lot of folks also try to escape the difficulties, not necessarily settle them or, or, or you know, make their way and say, okay, we've, we've figured out what to do and so it's all taken care of. It's no longer a difficulty in our life. They just try to escape through alcohol and drugs. And uh, that, unfortunately, ultimately worsens their problem. So, what to do? Life throws at us all these curves. What to do about them? We look in Paul, and, and he helped us understand that our greatest power to succeed, to cope with all of those curves that life throws at us, just the general daily, day in and day out challenge of living life in this world on a physical scale, to effectively deal with all of life's challenges, is centered in a right relationship with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Joseph read a few moments ago, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul basically laid out not only a lesson that he had learned, but a formula for success in facing life as we live it in this world. He said, not that I speak in regard of need or to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's look at Paul's formula as he lays it out. In verse 11, first, Paul stated, 
I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And what an important lesson that is for us to learn as we deal with life day in and day out, year in and year out, as we face those challenges, as things keep happening in our life and around us. And a lot of times people, they resort to hand-wringing and they start, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What's going to happen? Well, Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. We tend to think that the magic answer to whatever the difficulty might be is getting more money. If we could just get more money, that would solve everything. More money, I could pay off all my bills. More money, I could have some insulation against any danger that might happen in the future. More money, I could have more fun. More money would just bring me so much joy and peace. But Jesus said that money and the things that money can buy is not the meaning of life, nor is it the source of true fulfillment and happiness in this life. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now basically that's greed if you boil it down bottom line. For life, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I've used illustrations like that as long as I've been preaching. We think, you know, the little boy thinks if he could just have that particular bicycle, that would, well, he'd be so happy. But then the neighbor boy across the street, he's got one a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit fancier. We think if I had that, if I could have a car as we get into our teenage years. And, and I, I, my dad and I, we bought myself when I was 16 years old a 1960 Mercury Comet. What a hunk of junk. But I had a car. But then my buddy, he bought a brand new Chevy Nova. And I didn't have anything like that. But then we think, well, then we get older. And we think, well, okay, if, if, if I could get the newest and greatest, if I could get one fancy, if I could get a sports car, whatever. We, we go in all kinds of directions. Look at that new TV. That is a flat screen, quartz, or now it's beyond that even. And look at that. That is 36 inches. Does anybody still have a 36-inch TV, flat screen? See, it gets been bigger and bigger, doesn't it? And, and we think about that home. We, we, oh, this home is so great. Look at that house they just built across the street. You know, did you hear about Joe and Sally? They sold their house for that much money. They bought this, it's almost a mansion. Something bigger, something newer, something fancier, something more expensive, money. But Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In fact, he, in, he instructed us to get that kind of thinking out of our head. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's not saying there's anything wrong with having money. He's not saying there's anything wrong with having big homes and, and all the things that money can buy. But keep it in proper perspective, he's saying. That money is not going to save us. Having 
Huge bank accounts is not going to get us to heaven. There's nothing wrong with having huge bank accounts. But we've got to keep it in proper perspective. Our treasure is in heaven if we've got our focus right. We're encouraged to be content with such things as we have. The Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Without covetousness. Be content again with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God has said, you walk with me in faithfulness consistently. And of course that means obedience as well. And I will never leave you. So we may, now that word so is now a word of action or a word of understanding, kind of transition. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But see, again, Paul says he learned in whatever state he found himself to be content. To be content. Because he was walking with God. Now, second, Paul laid out the second part of the equation or the formula. He said that he had learned how to maintain a positive, spiritually focused mindset no matter the situation. And of course, that was key largely to his being able to be content in whatever state in which he found himself. He was able to focus in his mind in positive ways faced both the victories and the challenges of life because he knew who he was, he knew what he was, and he knew who was walking with him and who he, uh, whom with whom he was walking. And Paul wasn't just, you know, some detached preacher spouting off a lot of high-sounding platitudes. He was speaking from personal experience. He said in verse 12, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Were there times when he abounded? His life was abundant? Absolutely. But he says there was also times when I was in need. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9, he wrote this. And we might say it's rather puzzling, but, but stop and think about it. Analyze it more carefully than we probably do most of the time. We think the apostles, I think the tendency is, or at least the temptation is, to almost think of the apostles as super-Christians. And, you know, nothing much ever happened to them. They were because God was watching over them and protecting them, and they, they were just super-Christians. Almost every one of them, historically speaking, died as a martyr, I believe we understand, with the one exception of John. Paul says, I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Jesus told the apostles before he ever sent them the Great Commission, you're going to be persecuted. Should we be surprised when we experience some form of persecution in our lives today because we're trying to stand up for Christianity. We're trying to stand up for righteousness. We're trying to stand up for godliness. 
In verses 11 through 13, he goes on and he says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. And Paul did that to support himself a number of times. Being reviled, we blessed. Being persecuted, we endured. Now, understand, he was reviled. The apostles were reviled. They were persecuted, but they endured. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. Have you thought about that from the deeper thinking and understanding of what the apostles went through? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, Paul writes this. And is it rather astounding to think about? He says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. We do not know exactly to what situation Paul was referring there, but he's saying we had the death sentence, but we needed to learn to trust in God who can raise the dead if necessary and according to his will. He delivered us and he will deliver us. He will go on delivering us. We go a little bit further in Paul's life. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We begin with verse 23. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes, he's talking about being whipped, more above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He says, I was whipped by the Jews 39 stripes five times. How would we feel about that? Would we still be out there preaching the gospel? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides all the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul went through it. And so did the other apostles. They went through it. He speaks from experience. And then we look in, in chapter 12, beginning with verse, with verse 7. And he goes on, talks about physical infirmity. And lest I should be exalted above measure the abundance of the revel, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't say what it was. People have speculated some problem physically that he carried with him, apparently, on an ongoing basis. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might, re, re, that it might depart from me. And he said, 
My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, someone today might listen to some of that and say, Paul, you must be crazy. You take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses? He says, yes, I have a different perspective. I'm more spiritually focused in my life. I understand who I am, what I am, and where I'm going. I know that God can see me through and Christ, his strength will be there for me as I need it. By keeping in mind as we face the challenges of life, by keeping in mind that this life with all of its difficulties, all of its negativities, all of its challenges, all of its heartaches is only temporary. And we're looking ultimately, as Paul was, toward eternity. Then we can understand and be reassured that the problems we face in this life are also only temporary. And God will see us through. So Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And then he has that positive, spiritually focused mindset. I know how to be abased. I know how to, be, how to abound. I've, I've been up, I've been down. I've seen the positives, I've seen the negatives in life. And he spoke from tremendous personal experience. And then third, the third part of the formula for success in this life. He says he had learned how to face life successfully and he had thereby, he had learned how to look to eternity with confidence. Second Timothy chapter four, beginning with verse six. I am already being poured out as a, as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course or the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He says, this world is not my ultimate destination. I'm looking forward to eternity. He had learned the power to face and deal successfully with life in this world, with all of its challenges, not within himself, but through his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All the persecutions, all the beatings, all the whippings, the shipwrecks, the hunger, the ridicule, the persecution. He says, I can do all things through Christ. He faced death confident of a home in heaven. When he wrote this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he was in prison in Rome a second time. He had been released the first time, this time from the tone of his second recorded letter to Timothy, he seems to expect to be executed. 
not going to escape this time. But even at that point, he says, it, it's okay. I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. There's a home in heaven laid up for me. And that's where I want to be. That's what I look forward to. When he wrote his Philippians letter, if you read the first chapter there, he expresses that's when he was in prison in Rome the first time. And he ended up being released that time. But he, he says, you know, if it was up to me, if it was just my druthers, I'd rather, I'd rather die and let them and, and, and go to be with my Lord in heaven. But I believe that God has something more for me to do. And through your prayers, I find that encouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul voices what he says in, in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He lays that out in that second letter to the Corinthian congregation. And it's basically the same thing that he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All, that, all those struggles that I've had, all of that persecution, all of those difficulties, including the hunger and the thirst and all of that, I can, I can face it all through Christ. Because my sufficiency is not within me, but it's from God. When we start thinking that we're big enough and we're tough enough and we're strong enough and we're powerful enough to take care of everything in life by ourselves, we need to drop to our knees and ask God's forgiveness and please Father, give me your wisdom and guidance. Please, you be with me. Help me to see your way. We need Jesus in our lives. And what does Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We're not self-sufficient. We depend upon God for our next breath of oxygen for our next drink of water, for the next meal on the table. Now, think about what the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 20. And I would suggest to you that this ought to be basically our constant prayer. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We should be praying to God constantly. I'm not talking about every moment we're awake, every breath that we take, but constantly, over and over, always, our basic prayer, one of them at least, ought to be, God, please make me complete as you want me to be. Guide me, bless me, help me, direct me to serve you in the ways you want me to serve you. And please, Father, take away that mindset of excuse making, trying to absolve my responsibility from doing what you want me to do in service to you. 
Help me to be dedicated. Help me to be strong. Help me to stay focused. Through active, dedicated faith in Jesus, we can live this life. We can face all of its rigors successfully. Only through active and dedicated faith in Jesus can we do that. Can we face life successfully? A big question for every one of us. Are you trying to do it by yourself? Are you trying to do it by yourself? I used to think, and I went through years, challenges were facing me and my family. And I'd think, okay, in time, I'll work through this. Time kept going on, challenges kept facing myself and my family. Now they'd be different, you know, from time to time, but the challenges were still there. Are you trying to do it by yourself? Or are you praying for God's strength, God's direction, God's guidance, God's wisdom, and God to help you serve him in the ways that he wants you to serve him? Jesus is there. He's our Savior. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Apostle John wrote, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And with that belief goes obviously dedication and service and obedience. Through our faith in God, through Christ, we can overcome the world. And so Jesus offers that great invitation to us. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, whatever you're facing, whatever you're trying to deal with, whatever the challenges might be, however low you might find yourself, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'm the Savior, he's saying, sent from heaven to be here for you. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Our physical life will come to an end one day. No question about it, unless the Lord comes again first. But our soul will go on for eternity. Are you ready for that day? Have you come to Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Have you stopped trying to depend only on yourself? Have you surrendered to him in baptism? for the remission of your sins. Come to Jesus. You will find rest for your souls. Do you need the prayers of the church? We'll pray through Jesus for whatever those needs might be. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was a lesson Paul learned. And he's communicated it 
through inspiration to every one of us. Don't try to do it by yourself. You'll fail. Come to me, Jesus says, as we stand and sing.